Section 65 Reviews of Oscar Wilde This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 65. Venus or Victory. Paul Mole Gazette. February 24, 1888. There are certain problems in archaeology that seem to possess a real romantic interest, and foremost among these in the question of the so-called Venus of Mallow. Who is she, this marble-mutilated goddess, whom Gautier loved, to whom Hine bent his knee? What sculptor wrought her, and for what shrine? Whose hands walled her up in that rude niche where the Melian peasant found her? What symbol of her divinity did she carry? Was it apple of gold or shield of bronze? Where is her city, and what was her name among gods and men? The last writer on this fascinating subject is Mr. Stillman, who, in a most interesting book recently published in America, claims that the work of art in question is no sea-born and foam-born Aphrodite, but the very victory without wings that once stood in the little chapel outside the gates of the Acropolis at Athens. So long ago, at 1826, that is to say six years after the discovery of the statue, the Venus hypothesis was violently attacked by Millingen, and from that time to this the battle of the archaeologists has never ceased. Mr. Stillman, who fights, of course, under Millingen's banner, points out that the statue is not of the Venus type at all, being far too heroic in character to correspond to the Greek conception of Aphrodite at any period of their artistic development, but that it agrees distinctly with certain well-known statues of victory, such as the celebrated victory of Brescia. The latter is in bronze, is later, and has the wings, but the type is unmistakable, and though not a reproduction, it is certainly a recollection of the Melian statue. The representation of victory on the coin of Agathocles is also obviously of the Melian type, and in the Museum of Naples is a terracotta victory in almost the identical action and drapery. As for Dumont d'Orville's statement that, when the statue was discovered, one hand held an apple, and the other a fold of the drapery. The latter is obviously a mistake, and the whole evidence on the subject is so contradictory that no reliance can be placed on the statement made by the French consul and the French naval officers, none of whom seems to have taken the trouble to ascertain whether the arm and hand now in the Louvre were really found in the same niche as the statue at all. At any rate, these fragments seem to be of extremely inferior workmanship, and they are so imperfect that they are quite worthless as data for measure or opinion. So far, Mr. Stillman is on old ground. His real artistic discovery 
is this. In working about the Acropolis of Athens, some years ago, he photographed, among the other sculptures, the mutilated victories in the temple of Nike Aptero, the wingless victory, the little ionic temple in which stood that statue of victory of which it was said that the Athenians made her without wings that she might never leave Athens. Looking over the photographs afterwards, when the impression of the comparatively diminutive size had passed, he was struck with the close resemblance of the type to that of the Millennium statue. Now, this resemblance is so striking that it cannot be questioned by any one who has an eye for form. There are the same large heroic proportions, the same ampleness of physical development, and the same treatment of drapery. And there is also that perfect spiritual kinship, which, to any true antiquarian, is one of the most valuable modes of evidence. Now it is generally admitted on both sides that the Melian statue is probably Attic in its origin, and belongs certainly to the period between Phidias and Praxiteles, that is to say, to the age of Scopa, if it be not actually the work of Scopa himself, and as it is to Scopa that these vast reliefs have been always attributed, the similarity of style can, on Mr. Stillman's hypothesis, be easily accounted for. As regards the appearance of the statue in Mallow, Mr. Stillman points out that Mallow belonged to Athens as late as she had any Greek allegiance, and that it is probable that the statue was sent there for concealment on the occasion of some siege or invasion. When this took place, Mr. Stillman does not pretend to decide with any degree of certainty, but it is evident that it must have been subsequent to the establishment of the Roman hegemony, as the brickwork of the niche in which the statue was found is clearly Roman in character, and before the time of Pausanias and Pliny, as neither of these antiquaries mention the statue. Accepting, then, the statue as that of the victory without wings, Mr. Stillman agrees with Milligan in supposing that in her left hand she held a bronze shield, the lower rim of which rested on the left knee, where some marks of the kind are easily recognisable. While with her right hand she traced, or had just finished tracing, the names of the great heroes of Athens. Valentine's objection, that if this were so the left thigh would incline outwards so as to secure a balance. Mr. Stillman meets partly by the analogy of the victory of Brescia, and partly by the evidence of nature herself, for he has had a model photographed in the same position as the statue, and holding a shield in the manner he proposes in his restoration. The result is precisely the contrary to that which Valentine assumes. Of course, Mr. Stillman's solution of the whole matter must not be regarded as an absolutely scientific demonstration. It is simply an induction in which a kind of artistic instinct, not communicable or equally valuable to all people, has had the greatest part. 
but to this mode of interpretation archaeologists as a class have been far too indifferent, and it is certain that in the present case it has given us a theory which is most fruitful and suggestive. The little temple of Nike Aptero has had, as Mr. Stillman reminds us, a destiny unique of its kind. Like the Parthenon, it was standing little more than two hundred years ago, but during the Turkish occupation it was raised, and its stones all built into the great bastion which covered the front of the Acropolis and blocked up the staircase to the Propylee. It was dug out and restored, nearly every stone in its place, by two German architects during the reign of Otho, and it stands against just as Pausanias described it on the spot where old Agus watched for the return to Theseus from Crete. In the distance are Salamis and Aegina, and beyond the purple hills lies Marathon. If the Melian statue be indeed the victory without wings, she had no unworthy shrine. There are some other interesting essays in Mr. Stillman's book on the wonderful topographical knowledge of Ithaca displayed in the Odyssey, and discussions of this kind are always interesting, as long as there is no attempt to represent Homer as the ordinary literary man but the article on the Melian statue is by far the most important and most delightful. Some people will, no doubt, regret the possibility of the disappearance of the old name, and as Venus, not as Victory, will still worship the stately goddess. But there are others who will be glad to see in her the image and ideal of that spiritual enthusiasm to which Athens owed her liberty and by which alone can liberty be won. On the track of Ulysses, together with an excursion in quest of the so-called Venice of Mello, by W. J. Stillman, Horton, Mifflin and Co., Boston. End of section 65